So, good morning. Uh, I, I noticed some first-time visitors on the first service. I didn't really pay attention to this service, but I believe there are some first-time visitors. I'm Pastor Dan, for those that don't know. Um, the last time I delivered a sermon, we talked about encouragement. This message is more for motivation. But there's nothing new in what I'm going to say, nothing earth-shattering, It's simply a reminder of what we already know. It may be thought-provoking, but it is a very low-key, simple sermon. You're not going to be hanging off the rafters with enthusiasm and adrenaline flowing. But it is titled, Let's Go Sow, Bring in the Sheaves. My text is Psalm 126, verses 5 to 6. You'll find that in an insert in your bulletin, the title, the text, and of course, the sermon outline for your easy reference. Now seek with me, as I normally do, an anointing on this service, the message this day and on us as children. I look to Psalm 1914. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. I want you to listen to the following statements. The bringing of one soul to Jesus is the highest achievement possible to human life. You know, John Wesley, the great preacher, evangelist, said to his students, you have but one business, and that is the salvation of souls. Someone once asked Lyman Beecher, he was one of the greatest preachers of his generation, they said, Mr. Beecher, you know a great many things. What do you consider the greatest thing that a human being can do or be? And this famous preacher replied, the greatest thing is not that one should be a scientist, important as that is, or that he should be a statesman, even more important as that is, nor even that one should be a theologian, immeasurably important as that is. But the greatest thing of all is for one human being to bring another human being to be with Jesus Christ, the Savior. Someone else has said, if a man has a soul, and he has, and if that soul can be lost for eternity, and it can, then the most important work work in the world is to bring men and women to Jesus Christ. Now, the fact is that that is the matter of it all. We ought to be winning people to Jesus, but few Christians are always doing it. Some Christians consistently do it. Other Christians seldom do it, but most Christians never do it. It is estimated that 95% of all professing Christians have never led a soul to Jesus Christ. The greatest sit-down strike in the world is in our churches, where those who claim to be saved have never yet become fishers of men. Well, I want to say to those of you who have done it, who are doing it, or who have never done it, let's go so. The text that we have before us is going to tell us how to do it, why we do it, and what happens when we do it. So first, consider the task of a soul winner. The psalmist here compares the the work of a soul winner to that of a farmer. Soul winning is like farming. 
Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 13. He told a parable, which we call the parable of the sower, and he compared witnessing to a farmer sowing his seed. Now that tells me that soul winning is hard work, but it is not for us difficult work. It's hard work to break up the hard ground, to fertilize, to weed, to cultivate. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But it is very simple to sow seeds. If you want to be a soul winner, all you have to do is two things. First, go continuously. The psalmist speaks of the soul winner in verse 6 who continually goes forth. Now, this is the first thing you have got to do if you're going to be a soul winner. You've got to go. And the word go is one of the favorite words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Great Commission tells us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said in Mark sixteen fifteen, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And when he healed that Gadarene demoniac and made a new person out of him, he said in Mark 5, 19, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Has it ever occurred to you that the first two letters of the word gospel spell go? And if there is one thing you can say for a soul-winning church, it will be a church on the go. And I heard about a little boy who got a toy automobile for Christmas, and it wouldn't work. So he took it to his father, and his father said, Son, what's the matter with it? He said, Dad, I think the go is broke. Well, I believe that is what's wrong with many of our churches today. Their go is broke. Now, so many people have the attitude that because we have a praise team, carpeted floors, padded chairs, paid preachers, air-conditioned building, advertise the right uh, time of services, that therefore our job is to say, you all come here. But we've never been given a come here religion. We have been given a go tell salvation. And yet we constantly invite people to church. You know, sometimes we come down hard on lost people because they don't come to church. Well, I don't believe we need to condemn sinners for not coming to church to hear the gospel. We need to start condemning Christians for not going from the church to share the gospel. Did you know that there is not one verse in the Bible that commands a lost sinner to go to church? But there are scores of verses in the Bible that command believers to go to the lost sinner. But pay attention. Not only are we to go, we are to go continuously. You know, we are expected to evangelize our families, our friends, our neighborhood. Do you know why many people are not so winners? Some of them go out into the neighborhood with tracks. Once or twice, they try it, and they failed, and they quit. For example, they went out to a house with tracks and fear and trembling, praying all the time that the person would not be home. They walked up to the doorstep, rang the doorbell, the door flew open, and there stood a six foot six, 300 pound ugly gorilla with the skin like polysteel and arms like coconuts, a beer in one hand and a playboy in the other, and said, What do you want? They said, Wrong house. <laughs> and when at the church, 
They walked out the door saying, I knew this wasn't for me, and they never tried again. Well, you can't go once or twice if you're going to be a soul winner. You've got to go and go and go and go again. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Secondly, so consistently, as we go forth, the psalmist says in verse 6, we are to be bearing seed for the sowing. That literally means bearing a bag of seed. Or it could also be translated to leave a trail of seed. Here's a farmer walking up one row down the other, walking up this furrow and down another, just continuously dropping seed. That is the only job that God has given us to do. You see, it is not the farmer's job to force the harvest. It is simply his job to sow the seed. Now listen carefully. It's God's job to give the harvest. It's the soul winner's job to sow the seed. All God has called us to do is sow the seed. We are simply to take every opportunity that God lays across our path to drop the gospel in somebody's heart and then let God do the work. You know, that is what Jesus did. He was always going and sowing. He was going continuously and consistently. He met a woman by the well one hot afternoon and said to her, Have you ever drunk of the living water? He took every opportunity to just sow that gospel seed. He could do it with the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. To the butcher, he would say, Have you ever heard of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of this world? To the baker, he would say, Have you ever tasted of the bread of life? To the candlestick maker, he would say, Let me tell you about the light of the world. That is all that God has called us to do. Just sow the seed. Now, what is the seed? Well, we don't have to wonder what it is. Jesus said in Luke 8, 11, the seed is the word of God. Now, that thrills me because that means we've got the greatest seed in the world. It is, only, it is the only seed that is guaranteed to bring a harvest. Amen. Listen, Isaiah 55, 10, 11 states, Water the earth. And make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It is precious seed. It is powerful seed. It is productive seed. We simply need to carry it in our hand, our head in our heart, and sow it at every opportunity, and let God do the work. I tell you, there's not only power in the blood, there is power in the book, and if we will sow the seed of God, of the word of God, God will give the harvest. Secondly, consider the tears of a soul winner. Now, the farmer here is not only described as working, but also as weeping. Verse 5 of our text states, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy, but he who continually goes forth weeping. You see, soul winning is not just a matter of the head. 
It is a matter of the heart. It is the tears that motivate the toil. It is the weeping that stands behind the work. Now let's just get real honest here this morning. The reason why we do not witness more than we do is because we do not care more than we do. You know, we ought to be weeping this morning because we are not weeping. One preacher said, my burden is, I don't have one. That is what's wrong with so many of us. Why is it so difficult for some of us to generate tears? You know, my generation used to do our children a disservice. Let me share how we taught our children not to cry. We would say to them something like this, Now don't cry, only babies cry. Or we would say something like, Big boys don't cry. Well, kids are somewhat different today these days, but results are the same. I heard about a present-generation first-grade boy that was playing on the playground, and he fell down on the pavement, and he skinned his, his hands. And the old teacher saw it, rushed out the doors, picked him up, and said, Now, big boys, don't cry. The little boy said, Oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to sue. I want to say that I don't believe there's something wrong when we cry. I think there is something wrong when we don't cry. I think there is something wrong that we don't weep over a lost world that's going to hell. Amen. If you want to learn what a person is really like, ask three questions. What makes him laugh? What makes him angry? What makes him weep? There are two things that we should never forget how to do. One is to laugh. The other is to cry. We're living in a day when the world has lost power to blush over her sin. And the church has lost power to weep over her sin. I believe that there is one thing which pierces the master's heart with unutterable grief. It is not the world's iniquity, but the church's indifference. You know, the great men of God in the New Testament had hearts for souls. They knew how to weep. Jesus wept over individuals, cities, nations, and the world. Paul, the greatest missionary of all, that who's ever lived, said in Acts 31, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Jeremiah wept so profusely that he became known as the weeping prophet. He said in Jeremiah 9.1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. The problem with the modern-day church, it is filled with technology but empty of tears. I read the Salvation Army was holding a convocation in 1890. Morale was at an all-time low. The organization had hit rock bottom. They didn't know what to do. So they sent a telegram to their founding father, William Booth, asking for any advice that he could give on how they could get back on their feet. He sent back a telegram with two words, try 
tears. When they did, revival came to the Salvation Army. Listen, we can talk about revival. We can preach about revival. We can pray for revival, but revival never comes until desperation comes. And the sign of desperation will be the tears of our eyes and the brokenness of our hearts. Third, consider the triumph of a soul winner. God promises a special blessing to anyone who will be loving enough to obey Him and bold enough to serve Him in this matter of winning people to Jesus. First, consider the soul winner's rejoicing. He said in verse 6, When you go, you shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. He says in verse 5, When you sow, you shall reap in joy. I want to tell you again, That the greatest joy of the Christian life and the greatest joy in all of life is when you win one lost soul to Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon once said, Even if I were utterly selfish and had no care for anything but my own happiness, I would choose, if I might, under God to be a soul winner. For never did I know perfect overflowing happiness of the purest, most ennobling order until I first heard of one who has sought and found the Savior through my means. You know, we ought to go. And when we go, we are to sow. And when we sow, we will grow. And when we grow, we will glow before God. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Secondly, the soul winner's reaping. In verse 5, we are told without equivocation, we shall reap in joy. And in verse 6, the person who bears his seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The harvest is sure because God guarantees it. The harvest is sweet. It will bring rejoicing. The harvest is satisfied because we will reap exactly what we sowed. And lastly, the soul winner's reward. We are told in verse 6 that the soul winner comes bringing the sheaves with him. Now the sheaves represent the fruits of our labor. Where do we bring these sheaves and to whom do we bring them? Well, I tell you, we bring our sheaves to heaven and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. And here we sang a hymn this morning that we don't hear very often. And it went like this. Going forth with weeping, sowing for the master. Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Story that I read, Dr. R.Q. Lavelle was not only a wonderful pastor, preacher, but he was a tremendous soul winner. He told a story of preaching a revival and that the last night of that revival, people had gathered and stayed afterwards to speak to him and to say goodbye. And he noticed at the corner of his eye, there was a young woman with two small little girls standing over against the wall, obviously waiting to speak to him. And they waited for over half an hour And finally, when the last person had walked away, this mother and her two little girls walked up to the platform and she said, Dr. Lavelle, I have come many miles to be here tonight. 
And Dr. Lavelle said, you mean you came all this way just to hear me preach? She said, oh no. I came here just to tell you something. He said, you came all the way here to tell me something. She said, yes. And he said, what is it? And she said, Dr. Lavelle, over 25 years ago, I was just a nine little girl in the Delta of Mississippi. And I lived alone with my mother in a small one-room little shanty not far from town. They were having a revival at the First Baptist Church, and there was a knock on our door. And there was the pastor of the First Baptist Church and a tall man in a black suit. And they asked if they could come in. Well, they came in, and that man sat down on our dirty floor right beside me, pulled out a little Bible out of his pocket and opened it and told me about Jesus Christ. And she went on and said, I bowed my head in that little house, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. That night, my mother and I went to that church. I subsequently joined that church, and I was baptized, and my life has never been the same. And Dr. Lavelle said, well, that is a wonderful story. But what does that have to do with me? Well, at that point, tears began to wall up in the eyes of the young lady. She said, Dr. Lavelle, you were that man in that black suit. And I drove all this way just to tell you, thank you for telling me about Jesus. Now, at that point, Dr. Lavelle's eyes filled with tears, and the tears began to roll down his cheeks. And he said with quivering lips and a cracking voice, would you just do me one favor? She said, Dr. Lavelle, I would do anything for you. He said, when you get to heaven, will you tell Jesus what you just told me? She said, yes, I will. And he said, that will be enough heaven for me. Listen. You let Wall Street have the money. Let Broadway have the glitter. Let Hollywood have the fame. Let Washington have the power. Let's just get on the go and sow and be winners of souls. Amen. Service is over. And as you go out to the world, you take your Bible and arm yourselves. Go forth and sow. Sow the word of God in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for there is one true God. And may your sheaves be so numerous that when you come before Jesus, he will not just say, but he will shout, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. See you Thursday for the Bible study. Those that go, otherwise we'll see you next Sunday.